Look at your beautiful face. It is a sweaty face. How could it not be a sweaty face? On this, the least hot day of this heat wave. Truly. Well, okay, I feel like the amount of people who are like, it's not the heat dome. Everybody calm down. It's like, I know it's not the heat dome. I just don't want to have to fucking deal with this level of heat. No, I don't want 31 degrees in May. That's a hate crime. It is. A heat crime. (sighs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. When are we going to start recording? We already have. Oh, okay. I'm going to cut most of that out probably. Perfect. So we're going for dinner this evening in the humble town of Ladner. Yes. Ladner, it's a place. That's the tagline. Uh, we're going to Taverna Gorgona, a cultural icon, truly. Mm-hmm. You're going to see the Ganae mural that's next to it. You've already seen, but you enjoy. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to go because there's some sort of a deal. A deal that I would like this podcast record to show, I was led to believe, was half-price wine. Because it's a Wednesday. Wine Wednesday. It's a classic... It's a classic marketing strategy. Yes. Um, I will be honest, I did not read any of the information. And then when my mom started talking about it yesterday, it's like, it's two-for-one souvlaki platters. Which means that you have to choose a protein. And none of the proteins are vegetarian. So are. So that's on me. Eh. My B. Uh, not sure still, though. Inconclusive research. I mean, both deals can be true. Exactly. So maybe, we'll see. We'll figure it out when we get there. It's fine. It's It's not like the only thing that they're offering is... They've actually closed the kitchen down, and if you don't (laughs) eat the chicken, they beat you. (laughs) That's their new gimmick. Um, no, that is... You know what? Now that we've talked about how I don't know how to read, um an advertisement we're going to tell you about the dinner that i made yesterday which was frankly incredible Mm -hmm. so as i worked on mother's day we did not get to have a proper mother's day and i am now under the opinion that i do not want to go out to fancy restaurants and pay exorbitant prices for food that i could cook at home and i proved this to myself yesterday Mm -hmm. stunning chef's tits i made we did caviar and like potato chips where did okay sorry to immediately interrupt where did you get caviar because i looked into getting caviar for i just got like the shitty kind from like the fish store oh okay well i mean i didn't go to a fish store you didn't go to a fish store no i mean i spent why were you gonna eat caviar by the way well because i made vegan caviar and then i was like "Mm, maybe i should like get like just like a small thing of like shitty caviar mine hearts had like lumpfish caviar is that literally what it is okay it's like it's not really but you get that like popping thing you get the salty what more do you want it's perfect. Okay, cool. So had that with potato chips to start because it's a classic pairing and we had champagne. Any um, creme fraiche or anything? To, no, 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 just, just chips like, and just salt chips on and salt. salt. Truly. I know that there could have been a way to cut that, but I was like, no, I, you know I'm obsessed with salt these days. All I want to do is eat like literal buckets of it. I am like aqua, aquamarine in that, <laughs> that movie, mm-hmm. Aquamarine, the self-titled film, mm-hmm. the documentary actually, as some yes. might suggest. Her auto, the mermaid autobiography. <laughs> the mermaid autobiography starring Jojo. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she's and in t- Emma Roberts? Emma Roberts, you know, yeah. you know Emma Roberts was in that. One of her most iconic roles. Um, and there's the bit where she's in the tub and she just goes, oh, I need more salt. And it's just like, that's how I've been feeling recently. Yes. Um, anyways, so we did that to start. And then I shucked some oysters and we did those and I made mionette, which again, so easy, but like it slapped and cocktail sauce. And then we had all of those bites. And then for dinner, I made mm, seafood risotto. You're oh. shocked because you didn't think I could make risotto without you actually making taking the risotto, risotto making for, it for me. Yes. Every single time I'm like, oh yeah, we made risotto last night. It's like, no, Marika did while well, you stood there and drank wine. Uh, <laughs> an incredible energy. 
but no, I absolutely crushed it. I butterflied freaking lobster tails. I uh, seared scallops. I fried crispy pancetta in there. Some wine, a little tomato sauce, all the like herbs and spices and that shit. Fucking slapped. Very nice. I was so proud of myself. Very good. Honestly, a triumph of the human spirit. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know what the meal is remarkably devoid of? Fungus. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Really bringing us in here on Pantry Staples. The podcast where we dish on your favorite foods. I am Marika. And I'm Emily. And today we are going to be talking about fungus. Are because we? maybe. <laughs> it, there's no way of knowing. Um, because that is the theme of this. It's Smor- a sporgasborg. Sporgasborg. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to talk about chocolate. Excellent. Okay. Because your favorite food, the chocolate, is actually a fungus. Sort of. <laughs> so it's only able to be produced because of a fungus. Also, I did this research like two weeks ago now, and I honestly don't remember what I'm saying. Incredible. So I'm just going to read these notes and hope that they make sense. Because I've done zero prep today. Great. Um, so glad to hear it. Yeah, just another me outing ourselves. <laughs> One day somebody will listen to this podcast and be like, wow, this actually isn't terrible. Let's give them a million dollars for it. And then they'll hear me go, I've done no research and have no time. And they'll be like, this bitch cannot be trusted. <laughs> um, anyways, so chocolate only able to be produced because of fungus. The cacao tree grows with grows through a mutualistic relationship with the fungus mycorrhizae, which allows the mm-hmm. tree to gather the necessary nutrients. So kind of like truffles? Exactly. Yes. But it's not quite as specific in the sense that like you don't need like things to digest it and like the other elements to it like you could reproduce it without the funguses no um no but you don't need like the acorns and like the things to like move the things around like right yeah okay um so there are lots of types of mycorrhizae Mm -hmm. but theobromia cacao only forms endomycorrhizae I don't know. In these <laughs> mycorrhizae, fungi in the phylum, oh my god, I'm saying so many words, glomeromycata penetrates the root cells of the tree and forms specialized structures that facilitate nutrient exchange. This gives the tree sugars for growth. Oh. So basically, there's a specific kind of fungus. It makes it so the tree can get sugar to grow. So it's like feeding yeah. the tree. Okay. Exactly. Cool, 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 cool. Yes. Cool, cool. So once the tree has grown large enough for flower slash pod production, the tree will produce flowers that face the tree, mm-hmm. which allow the pods to be produced to be supported by the trunk and the branches of them because they are quite weighty. Okay. So interesting thought there that like this tree is literally not designed to carry the weight of these things unless it does it in a specific way, which I thought was pretty cool. That is cool because you yeah. think that actually more pl- – I mean, maybe more plants are designed like that, mm-hmm. but I feel like I've never – thought about the shape of a plant as being like conducive to like what it actually like the germination or whatever yeah, yeah. or like the yeah the whatever it's producing and growing yeah it's just crazy how nature is like yeah i will make sure that this all works out don't worry about it i got this yeah natural selection just it's crazy finding a way uh the pod and its seeds are quite bitter however the seed coat is pulpy and sweet so animals will break the pods open to consume this and then they poop out the bitter seeds Mm-hmm. This leaves bitter, rotting seeds to spread and ferment. Okay, yeah. So like it's like it a class. fungus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the fungus Candida cruci and a yeast-like Geotrichum spore are the two fungi that ferment the cacao beans. The fermented seeds become sweet and edible. Okay, so they have to be fermented in order for you, yeah, as a human to eat them, or even as like I think like even as animals? anything to eat them because like they're obviously like they're just swallowing them because they are getting them through the pulp like and they want like, like the pulp on the outside yeah and they don't and want so the, then seeds. the seeds are just like part of it but then once the seeds have been 
like already kind of partially digested by these funguses is Mm -hmm. exactly cool okay yes so these fungi are found in nature so this is a naturally occurring process the industrialized process also uses fungi to do like to replicate the same thing so i thought that was pretty cool that is i mean i guess it makes sense but it just seems like they would have found i guess not this is the thing we've learned about like all these fermented and like things like that it's like you are just replicating the same processes found in nature which is so crazy Mm -hmm. um companies often add specific strains of fungi that result in a particular flavor once the beans are removed from the pods they're piled into boxes and allowed to ferment for a few days the fungi ferments the sugars in the pulp releasing ethanol and heat bacteria break down ethanol into lactic acid and acid acetic acid and Mm -hmm. heat the heat and acetic acid kills the seeds by the second day which results in the breakdown of cell walls and a number of uh, complex chemical procedures that result in chocolate's distinctive flavor and aroma the piles of beans are stirred during this time to ensure even fermentation of the beans the extra acids and pulps drain off leaving the now desirable beans the beans are then dried and shipped to manufacturers huh so like all this before we've even talked about chocolate how the heck did i not know this i I had no idea like i feel like i've looked up chocolate making before i think they because they literally just talk about okay you get the beans and then you do this yeah this entire step is before it though huh yeah what sorry and what are do we know what they're doing with like the other pulp before this like is that all like getting like macerated down or why should i ask this question because you don't i don't think that the pulp is like being i think it's either just like eliminated or honestly actually i think i might have an answer for this further on but i think that they Mm. might just be using the pulp as like a sweet like treat like people might be eating it oh okay yeah Yeah. rest of the chocolate making process is up to the chocolate manufacturer so the beans are first roasted to bring out the chocolate flavor then the outer shell of the bean is removed and the remaining meat which is called nibs cacao nibs which i've had delicious everyone loves a cacao nib Uh if we all recall that episode of brooklyn 91 when terry gets obsessed with cacao nibs and goes back to being a fatty my fave um they're sort of he's just like mm-hmm. <laughs> um they're sorted by size the nibs are then ground into a liquid known as cacao liqueur no mm-hmm. so there's no alcohol in it just to confirm uh the cacao liqueur is then uh pressed to separate the cocoa butter from the solids the remaining solids are known as cacao press cake the cacao press cake is then ground to make cocoa powder oh okay yeah. So in order to make chocolate, cocoa powder is added to the chocolate liquor along with the milk, sugar, and other ingredients depending on the types of chocolate. The chocolate is then pressed through a series of rollers to refine the texture. This is followed by a conching or emulsifying process that it further enhances the flavor and texture. Then it is heated, cooled, and reheated to prevent crystallization. The chocolate is then molded, packaged, and sold. So they're not using the cocoa butter in the this chocolate they are they're they mixing are? it back in with okay so they the separate powder. it out and then mix it all back exactly. together oh interesting yeah. which is just like crazy amount of working that they're doing to get this product like who yeah. thought when they first were like eating it they're like yeah this will be this'll i know be what hit. we'll do we'll set we'll grind it down make a liquid separate out the different parts mm-hmm. grind up this add some part. sugar add some like all this yeah they're just like i'm a visionary just you wait yeah i guess truly um so that's the like kind of technical side of things Mm -hmm. now let's talk about the history so the cacao tree was cultivated more than three thousand years ago by the maya toltec and aztec peoples yes who prepared a beverage from its fruit the cocoa bean sometimes using it as a ceremonial drink and also used the bean as a currency which i feel like i'd heard before but didn't really realize and i was like oh wow that's so crazy how central this was to their culture yeah i feel like whenever it was brought up before 
like to me it seemed like more they're like yeah like just like barter like people would be like here take these beans instead like I feel like it was never described as like an actual valuable like a currency I think currency. that that's such an like easy way to devalue like that practice and be like uh-huh. Uh-huh, look at the savages doing this of Anyways. course of course rather than like this is this there's like a central sophisticated system with this economy yeah. of yep yeah uh, the Maya consider chocolate to be the food of the gods, specifically, oh, I'm going to be so bad, specifically from Quetzalcoatl, the god of wisdom, mm-hmm. who held the cacao tree to be sacred and even buried dignitaries with bowls of the substance, along with other items obviously deemed useful for the life afterlife. So they're burying people with, with cocoa beans. With cocoa beans. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Also, I feel like I'm interchangeably using cacao and cocoa, and I'm just like, I'm just going to roll with it. I don't care. Whatever. Um, People understand. If they can't, like... If they can't keep up with this level of nonsense, then they... Yeah, anyways. Um, So, let's see. In fact, the identification of the Olemic-originated word cacao inscribed on the containers was the key to deciphering Maya's phonetic manner of writing. So because we had them like writing what was inside the containers that they were burying, Mm -hmm. that's how we can understand. It's the Rosetta Stone, but it's chocolate Rosetta. Chocolate with the Rosetta. I don't care. Yeah, no. Incredible. I love it. That's so So cool. cool. Wow. And again, like what were the words that they used in the Rosetta Stone to translate? It was like all the same things that we were like comfortable with. Like it's so... Things that are just so central to life, right? Yeah, just like, like, yeah, I know what this word means in this language because we prioritize that thing. It's just like directions, it's food, it's, it's... like uh, numbers to keep track of how many goats you have. Like yes, that sort yeah, of stuff. exactly. Uh, Bills, grievances. Oh, yeah, the airing of grievances on cursed tablets. They're just like, I am very pissed off and now you're going to hear about it and people are like, huh. We're still pissed about these. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, while researchers do not agree on which Mesoamerican culture first domesticated the cocoa bean, the use of the fermented bean in a drink seems to have arisen in North America, so Mesoamerican, Central America, and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, scientists have been able to confirm its presence in vessels throughout the region by evaluating the chemical footprint detectable in the micro samples of contents that remain. So they have Ooh. these ceramic vessels with residue from the preparation of chocolate beverages that have been found at archaeological sites dating back to the early formative, so that's 19 19- to 900 BCE period. Whoa. Which, I have no idea what was going on in that area at that time. So no, very cool. No. Well, then that, I think, oh, it's so cool. Right? That's so cool. So neat. Because they they found like structures and stuff that oh, are yeah. so, so, so old from mm-hmm. that area. So like, people were just chilling. They were just there are things building elaborate pyramids and the thing that gets me so crazy is like the idea i think that we're always taught from like such a very young age in schools is like this is a very primitive culture like they did some cool shit but it was like very primitive but it's like no we were doing the like okay 1900 or 900 bce like we were well, when was rome founded like a little bit after that like things were not like they were yes obviously developed we're like writing poetry and like having all these kinds Mm -hmm. of like myths and stories and stuff were being developed but they were doing the exact same thing we just don't have as good translations on it yeah because racism racism yeah i mean i was trying to find some no it's always that the word is yeah racism anywho um for example one such vessel found at an olmec archaeology site on the gulf coast of veracruz mexico dates chocolate preparation by pre-olmic people as early as 1750 bce on the pacific coast of chiapas mexico um oh fuck um Mokayanan archaeological site provides evidence of cacao beverages dating even earlier to 1900 bce so people be doing this yeah for a very long time and i think kind of like when we were talking about corn a mm-hmm. hundred years ago um, like just thinking about 
what we see as um uh like like the leftovers that are in these vessels mm-hmm. is already coming from a place that's like so well like there's a tradition of mm-hmm. making this beverage like you know they've learned how to make it mm-hmm. like to break down the beans so that they're edible whatever all what have you so it's like there's like hundreds thousands of years before we're even seeing exactly this. and the thing that always gets me is like if you're finding this in one or two vessels that doesn't necessarily mean that this was just one or two vessels this means it was so culturally ingrained as a practice that it would be found in literally any house that you look like, yes when you find things like these these aren't one-offs mm-hmm. so that's crazy um, now let's talk about some sad things. Okay. 1502, Christopher Columbus brought cocoa beans back to Spain. Great. Good job, Chris. Absolutely incredible. Um, it's believed that in 1519, the Aztec ruler Montezuma II served a bitter cocoa bean drink to the Spanish colonizer Hernan Cortes, who then showed this to the Spanish back home. Mm-hmm. It was also believed that in 1544, chocolate was first brought to Spain by a Kelchi Mayan, people from modern Guatemala, as a gift to Prince Philip. This is the thing I always forget, too, is, like, they were coming in good faith at a lot of times, and, like, there wasn't just, like, mm-hmm. the Spanish going over. Like, they were coming back and, like, trying to form relationships. Instead, it was just, like, because nah. they're like also a very like nice and advanced society. Yeah, exactly. Like Ugh. an advanced enough society where they thought, yeah, it makes sense that we should go over and meet rulers from other tribes because that's how we've done. Like this isn't a people where they're just like wandering through being like, I guess oh, what is oh here's some chocolate, nice to see you. They're like, fuck that shit. We're kings too. Let's go. And also, like, as we've been saying, if we're using cacao as currency, you're basically like, here, have like some liquid gold. Like enjoy. Ugh, people. Uh, Anyways, um, 1585 was the first recorded recorded shipment of cocoa to Spain. It came from Veracruz, Mexico. Uh, 1657, a Frenchman opened a shop in London at which solid chocolate for making, uh, sorry, at which sold chocolate for making the beverage could be purchased at 10 to 15 shillings per pound. Okay, sorry. Do we know, like, was that chocolate, like, chocolate like we have now mm-hmm. so they've already so like the i don't mayans think it's nearly were, as processed as what we have now but like no. yes the idea was like and the mayans were doing the separating it out i th- or think so yeah and like yeah. by the time it gets here like i don't think it looks obviously exactly the same no. but there was definitely a process of like we're adding things to it and also i think i i don't know would they have had sugar yeah in yeah because sugar cane is like originally from that area is it isn't it i don't know do i say something really st- oh let me look up but like you're doing, like, sugarcane production and shit like that over in that area, like, as soon as we start having, like, but that might be a different time. But that was my point, though, is, like, I'm mm-hmm. not sure would they have had the sugar over there to do that. Like, the sweeteners? Or were they using, like, I mean, there's always, like, people, there's, can, always, there's always, like, sweetener. fruit sweeteners and, yeah, like, sugar beets and stuff. So, anyway. indeterminate. Yes. Uh, Should have done more research. But they had sugar, it. like, I guess, if they're able to make and sell it in France. Like, France yeah. had sugar. So, exactly. Yeah. So, there's sugar and chocolate that's looking very similar to it. Mm-hmm. So, they're selling this for 10 to 15 shillings per pound. This is very expensive. Mm-hmm. At the price, only the wealthy could afford to drink it. And therein, there appeared in London, Amsterdam, and other European capitals, fashionable chocolate houses, some of which later developed into famous private clubs. Ooh. In London, many chocolate houses were used as political party meeting places, as well as high-stakes gambling spots. Um, notably, the Cocoa Tree Chocolate House, which is later the Cocoa Tree House, or sorry, the Cocoa Tree Club, which opened in 1698, and White's, which was opened by Francis White in 1693 as White's Chocolate House. I want a shirt that says... Or it's 
White's Chocolate House? No, I want Cocoa um, Tree Club. Oh, yes. It's so Write this good. down in my Christmas gift list ideas. Um, it's really good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, Francis White's in 1693, blah, 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 is White's Chocolate House. About 700, the English improved chocolate by the addition of milk. So mm. different from there. They westernized it. Exactly. Improved it for... Improved it for Western British palates. palates, yes. Yep. Uh, the reduction of the cost of the beverage was hampered in Great Britain by the imposition of high import duties on the raw cocoa beans, and it was not until the mid-19th century when the duty was lowered to a uniform rate of one penny per pound that chocolate became popular. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, so of like, course, like, it's basically just being plundered out of there at this point. Yeah. Like, and plundered by the Spanish, who yeah. are then imposing duties on it. And which... are direct enemies of England. Yeah. Because of the I love that they still don't like each other. No. Ugh. Like, I feel like to this day, nobody's like, yeah, that's a good relationship there. It's like, "Mm." And you know how the British continue to take their revenge on the Spanish? They go to Spain and act a fucking fool on vacation. (laughs) That's how the British are taking their revenge on everyone, actually. Honestly, yes. I feel like that's, like, a direct relation to the fact that, like, Britain has lost its imperial power is that they still exert it by acting like absolute nincompoops wherever they go. Yep. Literally absolutely insane. And Just pop is... polos, drunk, oh. ho- uh, soccer hooligans. I cannot talk one more time about the Milan pizza incident, <laughs> but goddamn it, we all know that I'm talking about it. Um, anyways, meanwhile, the making of chocolate spread overseas and grew in sophistication. Chocolate manufacture started in the American colonies in 1765 at Dorchester, Massachusetts, and beans brought in by the New England sea captains from their voyages to the West Indies. Ooh. So James Baker financed the first mill, which was operated by an Irish immigrant, John Hannon. Water power was used for grinding the beans. In the Netherlands in 1828, C.J. Van Houten patented a process for pressing much of the fat or cocoa butter from the ground and roasted cacao beans and thus obtaining cocoa powder Ooh, in okay. 1847 oh, dutch process yes exactly sorry <laughs> no in 1847 the english firm of fry and sons combined cocoa butter with chocolate liqueur and sugar to produce sweet eating chocolate the base of most chocolate confectionery and in seven or 1876 daniel peter of switzerland added dried milk to make milk chocolate the proliferation of flavored solid and coated chocolate foods rapidly followed so again what we were seeing before this wasn't exactly what it was right but mm-hmm. It got more processed. It got more to be what we see now. And here we have it. Uh, 20th century chocolate was considered essential in the rations of United States soldiers Mm -hmm. during war, which fucking typical. That and ice cream. And the book that I'm reading talks about how much wine is necessary. So these people were living. (laughs) You want to eat good food during war times? You must be ready to die for your country. Basically. Everyone Um, else gets powdered egg and you have chocolate. Chocolate and cigarettes. Truly. The only diet that we need. Um, Century after century, appreciation for cocoa and consequently chocolate has only grown. The proof is in the fact that in 2018 to 19 season, world cocoa production already amounted to more than 4,800,000 tons. Whoa. Yeah. It is currently estimated that around $100 billion a year spent worldwide to buy chocolate in a global industry from which more than 50 million people drive their sustenance from agricultural cultivation to the final processing in refined confectionery. Wow. So let's just talk about that again. 500 million, or sorry, 50 million. I just, 50 million people are involved in this. And this is a 4,800,000 tons of it. Of course. It's a 100,000 or a $100 billion industry. $100 billion industry. Of course it is. It's like absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And we're buying chocolate bars for a dollar something on this, like, the yes. way out of a grocery store. Mm-hmm. 
blows your mind. Um, currently, the production of cocoa is being threatened in several ways. Mm. I wanted to discuss climate and the, like, the natural, I guess, threats to it as opposed mm-hmm. to the more, like, corporate disasters. So we'll talk uh-huh. about that in another day because I do want to get into yeah. that. But let's see. Climate change directly and disproportionately impacts cocoa trees. We're seeing a huge issue for farmers aging out of the production as well. And oh. no new farmers are being interested or are interested in cultivating a crop that is so labor-intensive right. compared to how much income they stand to make. Like, people this aren't is- doing this for slave labor like it's just yeah. ridiculous. In Ghana, the average age of cocoa of a cocoa farmer is 52 years old. Whoa. Like these are old old men and women breaking their backs to make this happen for us. Yeah. And none of their kids are like, "Let's go." They're like, "Fuck that shit. I'm tired." Of course. Well, and this is such an like this is what we've been talking about again almost this whole season, like the loss of the skilled labor mm-hmm. and of people that are interested in these like specific agricultural industries like people Mm -hmm. aren't farming algae people aren't growing truffles people aren't no but i didn't think harvesting cocoa yeah yeah like no one's gonna break their back to make no money and in order to efficiently like what's that thing that we always see for honey it's like if a bee was paid minimum wage they'd be (laughs) making a million dollars to it would cost a million dollars for a jar of honey or whatever but like that's the thing is like no one's gonna be eating chocolate when it's so goddamn expensive except for the elites obviously yeah and like that's what it's looking like it's going back to anyways Mm. in the last year the price of commodity cocoa has dropped from three thousand to two thousand dollars per ton according to a 2014 report from the international labor rights forum the majority of cocoa producers earn roughly two dollars a day Ooh. Yeah. Uh, in his speech at a Cocoa Foundation partnership meeting, the chief executive of the Ghana Cocoa Board, Joseph Boyan, uh, I do confirmed that the prices are not high enough to sustain interest. Prices are the best fertilizer for improving livelihoods, he said. Prices send signals to farmers as to the amount of time and labor to invest in cocoa production. Thus, lower prices constitute a major threat to the sustainability of the cocoa industry. This is why I do explains farmers are turning to illegal small-scale gold mining known as galamsey, a practice that offers quick money but pollutes water and threatens heavy metals into the soil. If unchecked, it, along with climate change and a disinterested younger generation of farmers, will harm the chances of growing cocoa or any other crop so it's like not only is it bad for cocoa it's bad for the environment bad if for- we don't pay people right and the other thing to discuss is that like because of the mass production of this people are trying to make crops like they're the crops are being threatened by obviously pests and disease much in the same way that any crop is mm-hmm. i mean if we talk about wine the phylloxera people still talk about it and like there are massive issues with this too we see researchers trying to produce cocoa plants that are really resistant uh to disease and mm-hmm. that sort of thing which is great and they they're doing it in a very responsible ethical way okay good yeah not doing like the monoculture no, like a corn they, there all. is yeah. kind of a bit of that it's to inevitable. it inevitably but it's really interesting to hear people discuss how like they are trying so hard to combat these issues and there is one scientist i f- closed the article like a fool but i'm just remembering it from three weeks ago now who has managed to successfully produce cocoa trees that are resistant to one of the main pests in um south america Mm. but he's not sure how they're going to do in africa but like the the long and short of it is like these trees are sustainable and we can continue to grow them but they're going to be more costly obviously than anything else so that's another little hurtling block. But isn't that crazy to think about the idea that, like, it's not even, like, yes, the environment and, like, climate change and all that is making it harder to grow these things. But it's yeah. also just, like, nobody wants to do it. No. So Nobody wants to 
Yeah. Because I don't want to break my back they? for that. Like, no. Like, that shit. If you can illegally mine gold and make enough money, sure. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the classic where it's this just systemic issues where it's like if people can't make enough money. You're going to do something where you can. At the cost of potentially ruining your own, like, land and And, like, we've seen that in so many other things where it's just like, of course people aren't going to care about that. Of course they can't. You can't be, nobody's an environmentalist when they're in poverty. (laughs) Like, they're just not. No, no, they're not. So that's all I have to talk about today for Coco, but I would like to revisit this topic in a few weeks. And I I would like to discuss the big bad chocolate man. Ooh, incredible. Yeah. I I love this. So so, yeah, the things that you learn about the fun fun guys. Of course chocolate's a fun guy. Of course he's a fun guy. (laughs) He's the funnest of the guys. My goodness. All right. Well, there you go. You've heard about my risotto successes. You've heard about the challenges of farming and, uh, there you go. We leave you now. That pretty much sums up a classic uh, pantry staples uh, episode. episode. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. You can follow us on Instagram at Pantry Staples Pod. You can rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your foes. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with some, I don't know, moldy old eps. Yeah, a moldy old eps. There you go. <laughs> uh, we'll see you for those. Bye.